When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. It's another disaster with firearms in America. A manager at Walmart, uh, whether uh, on shift or off shift, I don't know, whether disgruntled or apparently happy with his workplace, I don't know. All I know is that multiple people are dead, a larger number are wounded. It's another disaster in the United States of America. The non-binary man who calls himself Mix instead of Mr., who gunned down revelers in a gay nightclub a night or two before, is also a story that has faded from the news. And it has faded because it will soon be superseded, as the Walmart shooting will be. The United States is the sick man of North America. In fact, it's the sick man of the world. And I would feel deep sympathy for the people of the United States if they weren't projecting their force everywhere else in the world trying to govern other people's countries. A country where 3% of the population of the world live, but 25% of the world's prisoners are incarcerated. A country divided by racial and class and ethnic oppression on a gigantic scale such that it can be described as a volcano waiting to blow is nonetheless spending more money just in Ukraine than most other countries in the world put together spend on their entire defense. A defense budget in the Pentagon bigger than the next 10 countries put together. Spending more just in Ukraine, much more than the entire military budget of Russia, citing its nuclear weapons around the world, seeking to be the lawman, the sheriff of the world, when it cannot keep the peace in its own supermarkets. It cannot police its own clubs. It is not through any feeling of schadenfreude that I bring you these explanations of how I'm feeling about the United States this evening. I bleed for the suffering of the people shot down, the people wrongfully imprisoned, incarcerated, put to work in the military industrial complex or the prison industrial complex of the United States. It's not out of any pleasure I highlight the fact that the racial division in America is a powder keg and getting more and more dangerous. It is a plea, rather, for the United States to stay home and clean house, for the United States to sort its own problems, to enrich and unite its own people 
and leave the rest of us alone. Because make no mistake, on this bitterly cold November evening, Europe is facing economic catastrophe as a result of following American orders in the Ukraine, as a result of destroying its own economy for the edification of the United States of America, as a result of following the old man, 80 years young, wherever he wanted to go, even if where he wanted to go was entirely the opposite of where we as Europeans ought to go. Vital European infrastructure has been exploded on the orders of the United States of America. Sanctions have been imposed, which turned out to be sanctions upon ourselves rather than the country, Russia, that they were supposed to be being imposed on. Our currency is bust, while the ruble is booming, the best performing currency in 2022, imagine. A war which began on the 25th of February shows no signs of ending, and that's because the United States, at least until now, has no intention of seeing it end. A war which is now accompanied by videotaped and photographed atrocities, war crimes, being committed by a regime in Kiev that we are bankrolling, that we are arming, and that we are, however increasingly unsteadily, with an uncertain note, proselytizing and propagandizing for on every news bulletin. The only way that the mass media in the West can continue to support Ukraine is not to report it, not to report what's happening, because what's happening is a picture of certain defeat for the forces of the coup regime in Kiev and increasingly desperate bestial acts of atrocity by that regime. They videotaped themselves executing Russian prisoners of war lying on the ground and they put it onto the internet. Men lying helpless with their hands stretched out were all shot in the back of the head. The Kraken Division, a fascist breakaway from the Azov Battalion, even more bestial than the original fascists of Azov, and as beholden to uh, the collaborators of the Holocaust in the East, the people who piled the Jews of Eastern Ukraine and Western Ukraine into death pits and walked on their backs, administrating the coup de grace in the back of their heads. The Kraken Division executed in cold blood ordinary civilians in the Kharkiv region just this week as alleged collaborators. No trial, of course. No justice, of course. Just Russian people who speak Russian like almost all of the people of eastern Ukraine do. These war crimes will never be punished. They will never even be described as war crimes. That language is kept for our official enemies. As has been displayed so vividly on the international stage at the World Cup this week, 
I could speak all night about the rampant hypocrisy that is on view. I just saw a black woman commentator on Britain's state mouthpiece, the BBC, a woman by the name of Alex Scott, MBE, a former gifted woman footballer with the Arsenal Football Club, at the end of a tirade about human rights abuses in Qatar, saying, we hope at the next World Cup we won't have to have these conversations again. No, Alex, you definitely will not have these conversations again. You will not, four years hence, if God spares us all, be heard talking about the 25% of the world's prisoners that are held in America's prisons, even though the World Cup will be in America. We will not be told that the biggest portion of them, Alex, are people who look like you, whose skin color is the same as yours. You will not be talking about the chain gangs of black prisoners in the United States of America. You will not be talking about the gunning down of party goers at gay clubs. You will not be talking about the massacres in the malls all over the United States of America. You will definitely not be talking about the 50 countries that America has invaded or overturned in the years since the end of the Second World War. I promise you, you will not be talking about any of that. You will not be talking about the extreme injustices of the US injustice system. You won't say a word about it. Qatar is nothing to do with me. I'm banned from Qatar. I'm not here shilling for Qatar. I have no, zero relations with Qatar. But my goodness, are they being traduced in this World Cup because they don't allow people to stagger around drunk in the streets of Qatar. A fact which was known by FIFA and the world that is represented at FIFA when they granted the World Cup to Qatar in the first place. Gay sex is not legal in Qatar as it isn't in any Muslim country in the world, as it isn't in any but one African country in the world, as it isn't particularly popular in Poland, where 300 mayors have just declared their towns to be LGBTQ plus free, and yet we're shipping money and weapons to Poland. We're citing American nuclear weapons in Poland, the better with which to threaten Russia. This hypocrisy is utterly sick. It means that the World Cup should not be in any Muslim country. Why don't you come out and say that? It means that the World Cup cannot be in any African country. It means that the World Cup's not that popular in Alabama and in other states of the United States that only until very recently gay relations were illegal. The hypocrisy over the rainbow bands is beginning to beggar belief. Every single football broadcast on ITV and BBC in Britain begins with and is punctuated at half time with attacks on the organizers. Qatar. I even had someone say to me today how dreadful it is 
that some games start at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'll tell you what, why don't we hold the World Cup every four years in Greenwich? Then we can watch it at Greenwich meantime, and it can be not the World Cup, but the Anglosphere Cup. If you're going to hold the tournament in other parts of the world, you have to know that, well, it's not the same time here as it is there. The way in which Islam, Muslims, Arabs are being disrespected in the way in which this World Cup is being reported. I've got, I, I'm listening to people who are multi, multi-millionaires at the police, at the public's expense, pretending to care about migrant workers, pretending to care about the wages of manual labor that was paid to those who built the stadia. But they have never in their entire multi-millionaire puff given a moment's support to any workers anywhere else in the world fighting for higher wages, including in Britain, where this very morning the leader of the Railway Workers' Union was insulted beyond anything I have ever seen on British television, not by the right-wing Fox News, GB News, Sky News, Rupert Murdoch News, but by the achingly liberal Channel 4 News, where the newsreader, for that's all that he is, said that the leader of the Railway Workers' Union had stolen Christmas. He was the Grinch that had stolen Christmas. Lynch the Grinch, they called him. Now, quite apart from the fact there are other ways to travel other than train in Britain, at least for now, despite the high cost of fuel, it's not the railway workers that have stolen Christmas. It's the British government and the British economic system which has stolen Christmas. The reason the people of Britain are facing a Christmas poorer than they have ever been and facing a more uncertain economic future than they ever have is nothing to do with the woman that sweeps your railway station. It's nothing to do with the man that's the guard on your train. It's nothing to do with the RMT or Mick Lynch. He's not the Grinch that stole Christmas. That was Boris Johnson. That was Rishi Sunak. That was whatever our name was who came in between them. That was Joe Biden that stole our Christmas. That was Emmanuel Macron and little soldier Schultz. They're the people that have stolen our Christmas, not the railway workers. Now, there's one other thing I want to talk about. It is this. We've got, by the way, one of our most eminent guests coming up right after me, and that's Larry Johnson, a veteran of the CIA and the State Department, uh, who will be talking to us about war and peace. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was China. China is the rising sun. It is simply unconscionable for some in the West that the sun is coming up like thunder out of China across the bay.
across the world. It is intolerable to the United States of America that whatever they do, whatever restrictions and sanctions they do or encourage others to do, however often they try to hamstring the rising Chinese economy, however they try to divide the people of China on religious or ethnic or geographical bases, they have completely failed. The AUKUS military alliance, the Indo-Pacific maneuvers of Western navies, the rocketing number of military bases that the United States has placed around China, the increasingly desperate efforts to provoke war with China over Taiwan, the desperate efforts to derail uh, the absorption into the motherland of the former British colony of Hong Kong, they have all failed. They tried. They told you just a few weeks ago there had been a military coup in China. They told you that the president of China was no more and was to be replaced by a general. It is unhinged, the propaganda offensive against China, and it has all failed. China rises and rises and rises. We had a choice to rise with it. We could have bathed in the warmth of that rising sun. We could have been its supplier of high-tech uh, components. We could have sold it luxury goods. We could have sold it the things that we still make and have, which are good things to make and have. We could have traded with China. China could have invested in us. We could have risen together. But our leaders, our idiot leaders, have chosen a path instead of war and confrontation, of sanctions and slander against the emerging Eurasian landmass that is going to be the future of humankind in the 21st and 22nd centuries. It is a very great pity. It may be too late to turn back. Certainly there are no signs yet that our people have realized that we're led by people who are not just knaves, but fools. Fasten your seat belts. Definitely going to be a bumpy night because it's the mother of all talk shows. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The 1897 edition of War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Read by George Galloway. Available only on Patreon. The cylinder was artificial, hollow, with an end that screwed out. Something within the cylinder was unscrewing the top. Good heavens, said Ogilvy. There's a man in it, men in it, half roasted to death, trying to escape. At once, with a quick mental leap, he linked the thing with the flash on Mars. The thought of the confined creature was so dreadful to him that he forgot the heat and went forward to the cylinder to help turn. But luckily, the dull radiation arrested him before he could burn his hands on the still glowing metal. are listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. I'm reading War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. It was written in 1897, but it still chills the blood uh, in 2022. Uh, it frightens me, and I'm the person that's reading it. It was, of course, the cause in 1938, admittedly, with the voice, the golden voice, the dark brown demerara sugar voice of Orson Welles, uh, it caused mayhem in the United States. People thought it really was a report on the radio of a Martian invasion of Earth. As a matter of fact, it was a rather elaborate metaphor of British Empire colonialism invading uh, Africa and Asia and the 90% nine zero percent of the world that Britain had invaded in that time. And it's not finished yet. So if you want to follow the War of the Worlds, read by me, the next best thing to Orson Welles, then sign up on the Patreon. Many people are. We've got a poll running. The USA is holding the next World Cup. Should it? A, yes. B, no. On Twitter, so far, it's A, yes, 37%, no, 63%. On YouTube, and if you're on YouTube, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's been stuck on 229,000 subscribers for quite some time. And like the show, but on YouTube, it's yes, only 21%, no, 79%. And on Telegram, please follow me on Telegram, t.me forward slash George Galloway. And they are the most perspicacious of all voters normally. It's yes, 12%, no, 88%. Now, Larry Johnson is an eminent individual who knows more about war and intelligence matters than almost anyone who is currently available for broadcast. He's a veteran of the CIA 
and then the State Department's Office of Counterterrorism, founder of Berg Associates and an all-round sage. His name is Larry K. Johnson, and I welcome him to the mother of all talk shows. Larry, welcome to the show. Hi, Thanks George. for uh, joining us. Let's start, uh, uh, if we may, uh, today and then work back. Uh, sure. The picture I saw this evening of a very clear war crime, the massacre of civilians in Kharkiv, the video I saw just the other day of uh, the execution, they took the video themselves, it wasn't a secret camera, of the execution of Russian prisoners of war. These two things indicate that this war has gotten much, much uglier, isn't it? Well, actually, it's been this way for eight years. The world is just now starting to pay attention, perhaps. But uh, you, you had massacres of civilians going back to 2014, 2015, that were reminiscent of, you know, when the Nazis lined up the Jews in Babi Yar, just outside of Kiev, and, and, and murdered them. So this, is, this has been underway for quite a while. And I, you know, in a way, we can say, thankfully, it's getting some attention now. But uh, underlying that attention is a, just a horrific uh, event. Yeah, of course, Babi Yar was carried out uh, by the SS who stood smoking while the followers of Bandera uh, carried out many of the murders. Perhaps Correct. a million Jews were murdered. Correct. And they were murdered mainly by Ukrainians. Uh, the same Bandera whose banner is held aloft by a substantial section of the nationalist forces in Ukraine. Yet none of that seems yet to have permeated into Western consciousness. Why? It is, the, it is a reminder of the power of propaganda in the West and their refusal to accept facts. They've, they have conveniently tried to erase every um, reference to the Azov battalion and to the, its connections with Nazi, not only Nazi imagery, but the slogans and the rhetoric, what, what they profess to believe in. You know, I was actually, I was somewhat ignorant of this myself up until about four or five years ago when I watched uh, a documentary. It was made by an English barrister, uh, What Our Fathers Knew, where he, he took the son uh, of Hans Frank, who was the governor general of Poland back in uh, the 1940s. Hans Frank set up the death camps in Poland. And then a guy named by the name of von Wachter. Von Wachter's father was the Galaita of uh, Ukraine. And so these were now old men. They were well into their 70s when this was made. And um, they went back to Ukraine and, and came upon, and in this documentary, there were there were modern-day Ukrainians marching around in Nazi uniforms celebrating the SS division, the Waffen-SS division that had been formed by Ukrainians at the suggestion of von Wachter. And there was a very old man in that group when he learned that this was von Wachter's son, comes up to him and embraces him and says, oh boy, we could sure, sure use your dad back here again. So th this notion that the Nazi elements were somehow relegated to the past is just a, it's just a lie. Uh, it's very present, it's very real, and it should be opposed with all of our effort. And yet Britain and the United States, who both uh, had you know, tens of thousands of soldiers 
you know, killed in World War II at the hands of Nazis are now basically embracing the Nazis. Uh, Larry, not uh, 10 miles from here where I'm sitting, there's a Ukrainian prisoner of war camp. Even I had to drive past it a few times before it dawned on me that here was literally concrete evidence uh, that uh, we took Ukrainian prisoners of war because they were fighting on the Nazi side. And now we are uh, the allies of the people who were fighting against us for fascism, for Nazism. Does anybody in the CIA, anybody in the State Department, anybody in the American government ever reflect on the irony, at least, of that? But it appears not. The, I mean, just the, um, the abject ignorance of history in the United States, the failure to appreciate what really transpired at the end of World War II. Um, you know, I'm very cognizant of the fact that what, what became the CIA, growing out of the OSS, and then there was military intelligence, uh, and then in 1947, the, the CIA was, was formed, they recruited uh, Klaus Barbie. Klaus Barbie was the head of uh, the SS, uh, the Gestapo, I mean, in, in uh, France, and was responsible for the deaths of um, men, women, children, uh, tens of thousands. And yet we signed him up, protected him as an asset, used him uh, in the, uh, on the justification that we were afraid of the Soviets even though the Soviets had been our allies uh, in World War II. And the fact of the matter is, without the work that the Soviets did in fighting the Germans, it's unlikely that the United States and the United Kingdom would have prevailed in, in the Second World War against Germany. Now, Larry, the, according to the Ukrainian authorities, 80% of the people of Kiev have no water and no mm -hmm. power. They've had no power intermittently uh, for some time, but now no water and no power. Uh, the uh, air superiority that you identified uh, way back in a very important article in March, uh, right. the air superiority is really beginning to tell the, the destruction systematic of Ukrainian infrastructure is effectively reducing Ukraine to a non-functioning <clears throat> state how much longer can that go on uh, i don't think i don't think it can endure this more than uh, another four weeks frankly with the with winter setting in it's, it's very interesting that the, the the missile campaign that russia is conducting against the the power distribution centers they're not actually blowing up the power plants they're not attacking the nuclear power plants or the thermal power uh, but what they are doing is attacking the distribution centers, the electro, the electric nodes throughout the country. And if you, anyone who's ever visited Kiev will know that in Kiev, the vast majority of the population, they live in high rises. And in high rises, you've got to have electric motors to pump water to the upper floors. Gravity doesn't get it there. And on top of that, as the cold comes in with winter, and if there's any water in the pipes, those will freeze, burst, and then you've got additional destruction in that building. So they, they really become uninhabitable. Uh, you, you know, you can't, can't use the toilet uh, if you're above the second floor. And so 
people are going to be faced with the, with the choice of having to live in primitive conditions. Um, it, it would be worse than living on a farm with an outhouse or uh, finding refuge in some other city or country. And I think the, the latter will be uh, the, what will happen. This is, this, is, this is like a bombing campaign. Except instead of destroying the buildings and forcing them to into a, putting them into a pile of rubble, uh, Russia is destroying the buildings by cutting off the water, the electricity. Uh, in, a, in a way, it'll be a more humane way to bring an ending to this war. Well, let's look at what an ending to this war might look like. And But before that, uh, let me ask you why in all these circumstances. Uh, of which, by the way, the majority of our citizens in your country and mine are entirely oblivious. They're still being mm -hmm. told that Ukraine is winning the war. Uh, but like. we both know that that's not true. And the perspicacious audience of this show knows that too. So in all those circumstances, why has Ukraine not come to the negotiating table? Well, the big reason is that they came in March, and it was uh, your own Boris Johnson who uh, intervened, and I think at uh, the, the behest or with the support of Joe Biden, uh, to tell the, the Ukrainians, back off, don't do this. Uh, the West, uh, the, really the fate of NATO and Western leadership is at fate, you know, is, is at risk here. The outcome of this war, which I believe is already predetermined, uh, just because of uh, the, the realities on the ground, uh, it, it's going to mean an end to the American dynasty, that has, the American supremacy that it has enjoyed since the end of World War II, uh, particularly since the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1990, uh, the United States has enjoyed being the biggest and baddest person on the block, you know, the biggest state. Uh, that's come to an end now. Uh, what what is going to emerge out of this is a genuine multipolar, or let's call it a bipolar world. But it will it will not be a world where the United States can any longer dominate and dictate the terms, and frankly invade other countries at will. Uh, we've seen uh, you know too much death and destruction wrought at the hands of the United States, first in Iraq and Afghanistan, always. Uh, stated to the public for the, uh, the the noblest of reasons. But when you get right down to it, uh, I, I think it's had more to do with keeping uh, military industrial corporations going and uh, that the bottom line can be uh, improved for their shareholders. It has had nothing to do with actually making the world a more peaceful, more prosperous place. And so the war goes on uh, without negotiation. The the reinforced uh, Russian forces, and I saw a report today about how uh, the reinforcements are certainly now arriving in huge numbers uh, in, in Donetsk. Uh, a reporter uh, referred to the vast number of Russians now around. The Russians are coming, uh, all right. What are they going to do next? At the moment, they've stopped on the Dnipro, which in a negotiated settlement would have been quite a tidy uh, division of the country, but if there's no agreement, the Russians uh, must uh, go on. Where are they going on to? What will they do next, do you think? Well, they, they have several options before them. Let's remember that 
right now there's still a sizable contingent. I don't, I'm not sure of the exact number of Ukrainians that are east of the Dnieper River. Uh, it would be very easy for the Russians. I mean, actually, I've been sort of surprised. The Russians could have taken down every bridge across the Dnieper and, and cut those troops off. They've left it open, and they've left it open, I think, for a reason that they're hoping that perhaps there can be a negotiated settlement or that these uh, troops will uh, surrender before they are killed. Uh, if, if, they are, if they don't surrender, uh, then Russia it, it will first finish dismantling the electrical uh, grids throughout Ukraine and render the cities impossible to inhabit. Uh, the water, the resupply for the for those cities will will be dead, and then that translates into uh, diminishing the ability of the Ukrainian government to supply the forces that are in eastern Ukraine. With that, Russia would then have the possibility of launching an offensive in a couple of different directions, where they could actually encircle that entire military force, having completely cut off from supplies in the wintertime. And they would be very much in the same position that the Sixth Army of, of Ampalas was in, around Stalingrad when the uh, Russians broke through, surrounded uh, his forces, and there, there was no way to rescue them then. That uh, completely destroyed that army and it really marked the turning point in World War II. And I think there's actually a, a similar opportunity presented to Russian forces if they have sufficient numbers uh, on the ground. Uh, but clearly, the, the, the numbers in terms of weapons that they can supply, artillery shells, personnel, uh, that's on the side of the Russians. The, the Ukrainian soldiers are left having to fight on the ground with very few vehicles and tanks. And there is not a, uh, an abundant supply waiting to replace them Plus, the ability to rush those supplies to the front is very limited as well. There's no air cover for, for the Ukrainians. They can't rely upon uh, combat aircraft to come in and, and uh, bomb uh, the Russian positions. So with, with the onset of winter coupled with the supply shortages, coupled with the manpower shortages, uh, it, I don't see, I, frankly, I don't see how they survive the winter this way. Might the Russians uh, take the uh, southern coastline? Might they take uh, Odessa? Might they link up with t Transnistria? Do you think that might be uh, a, a, a potential ending to all this, leaving a rump Western Ukrainian state, rather like Kosovo, uh, a NATO protectorate, with Poland uh, beginning to dream again of of uh, recovering its territory in Western Correct. Ukraine, uh, Lvov and so on. Uh, it could be that by next year, uh, Ukraine is just another Kosovo. Yeah, I, I think that's highly likely. Um, Russia is going to deal with uh, uh, exp expelling completely the Ukrainian forces from the, 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 the Donbass, from you know Donetsk, Luhansk, uh, Kherson, then uh, Zaporizhia. Uh, once that is done, so basically the, it will be cleared up to the Dnieper River. Then they will be in a position to move both over land and from sea against Odessa 
and then on to Transnistria. I think that is ultimately their plan. I've, you know, the the, the Russian general staff hasn't called me up to say, "Hey, here's our plan. We're going to, you know, clue you in." But l- looking at it, I think it's clear that Russia sees Odessa as still part of Russia, uh, which it was, and uh, the, I, I don't see them walking away from that. What, what's really un- interesting is the, co- the constant uh, chorus of people in the United States and I think in the UK that are insisting that Vladimir Putin is in trouble. He's on his way out. Uh, got rising opposition in Russia. They're going to throw him out. We're going to get regime change. And what's really going on is uh, what I've picked up is the, yeah, there's frustration in Russia. They want they want Putin to be tougher and more more aggressive against the Ukrainians. And I I think when when the history of this epic is is written, uh, Putin will be judged as as a great man in history because of his moderation, because he could have done things in a very you know more violent, more destructive way, and and he he tried to be, he actually tried to be more constructive and positive. Your counterterrorism experience. Uh, there was a story in the last few days about some of these. Ukrainian fascists planning terrorist activity in Italy. Thankfully, the plot was foiled and the Italian uh, authorities uh, presented the evidence. Uh, My uh, fear is, with all these weapons, including weapons that can be put in the boot of a car, uh, that uh, Ukrainians will be coming to a shopping mall near us, an airport near us, a bank uh, near us, uh, with uh, politically motivated terrorism and crime. Uh, sure. Have you given that any thought? Have the U.S. Uh, authorities given that any thought, do you think? Yeah, I think you know, on the part of the U.S. authorities, they've given no thought. I mean, this is, this is one of the most ignorant, uh, ill-educated uh, teams of national security that the United States has ever uh, had operating uh, in this time. I mean, it's... It is incredibly dangerous. They're so uh, incompetent. I remember that terrorism is always the an act of weakness. It's not an act out of power and out of uh, being in a superior position. So uh, I think I think it is likely that because these weapons are so widely distributed now and available, that they will be used. And if when terror when terrorism crops up. It is used as an excuse by the governments, by governments to crack down on opposition domestically and to uh, claim that people who are actually not engaged in such violence are, in fact, terrorists. I mean, we've seen that in the United States. The people who entered the U.S. Capitol on January 6th were immediately labeled as terrorists, as insurrectionists, even though the only violence that was carried out that day was carried out by the police. Uh, They killed uh, they killed at least two people. The, the the protesters killed nobody, despite regime lies claiming the opposite. Larry Johnson, it's been a pleasure, a privilege actually, to interview this, you this evening. Thanks for joining us. Uh, the poll is still running. Uh, the USA is holding the next World Cup. Should it? A, yes. B, no. Get voting until the end of the show. Let's go straight to the phone lines. Manuel is in New Jersey, wants to talk about propaganda. Go on, Manuel. What would you like to say? Hey, George, how you doing, man? Nice meeting you. Hey, um, good, good. 
Thanks. Just, you know, I'm a regular guy. I finished high school. College wasn't for me. But life's been good. So I'm, a, I'm what I call an infiltrator. I'm, I have a blue-collar job, but no degree. So, my, so why do you think that all these educated Westerners with PhD, college degrees, they just swallow the propaganda whole? They don't have a question. If you mention a question, they look at you like you're insane, like you're crazy, like you're from another planet. And I'm from Colombia, and all the friends that I grew up with, they also went to college there. They have nice jobs. And they are the same. Like, they never have a question, George. Why must educated people just, you know, just swallow everything? That's what we used to call the $64,000 question when $64,000 <laughs> was a lot more money than it is now. Manuel, I also uh, was a blue-collar worker. I left school early, never went to university, have no degrees, but I can make motor car tires, which not many people uh, who sat with me in Parliament could even change one. But I could make one. And uh, I, too, gaze upon them and wonder. Uh, the best I can say to you is it only takes one sheepdog to round up hundreds, maybe thousands, of sheep and to corral them, even though uh, from the corral they go to the knacker's yard to <laughs> get their throats cut, which, when you think about it, is a pretty good metaphor. Manuel, great first call. Thank you for it. Raphael is in Vermont in the U.S. on U.S. intimidation. Go ahead, Raphael. Hey, how are you? Eh? I have a question. For, uh, not a question. I want to yes. make a statement, and probably I would like you to tell me how you feel about it. Because my, my background, in 1988, I, went, I was in Bosnia as part of the U.S. military force, Operation Dynamic Response. And one thing I learned from for spending six months in Bosnia is non-NATO forces, none of them like each other. The French hate the Germans. The Germans do not trust the French. The British do not like the French. The British do not like the Germans. So my question to you, and one thing I learned also is all of these officers are political hack because they will tell you in my country, I am really a lieutenant, but because I know somebody, they send me here, they, 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 they make me a colonel, they make me a general, so I can come here. But that person is not really a colonel. If he's a Spain officer, when he go back to Spain, his real rank is a lieutenant. So my question to you, that NATO army is fake, and they don't have any personal the, the forces will not be able to have any cohesiveness. And Putin, in his speech, he made it clear. He said the West like to intimidate people. When somebody say you like to intimidate in the military term, Putin told you, you guys do not want to fight. You guys cannot fight, and you guys will not fight. So if a moron like me can figure this thing out, why do you take people in the media, people educated, clairvoyant, a philosopher, why these people cannot see that? So I will go and listen to you. Well, that's, uh, that, that's one of the best calls uh, for a very long time, Raph. So thanks for uh, making it. And uh, it makes a point I've made here 
many times, although in your case, from the standpoint of having lived amongst it, served amongst it, and experienced it. The European parts of NATO are a military joke. The United Kingdom armed forces, army, navy, and air force, could all fit in to one of Qatar's new football stadia in the World Cup. The entire strength of our army, navy, and air force in one stadium. And we're one of the better uh, military outfits in the European theater. Uh, the French hate the Germans because the Germans invaded and occupied them three times in less than a hundred years. So as well, they might hate them. The Dutch hate the Germans because the Germans overwhelmed them in, in less than two days in the Second World War, uh, faster than an Uber could cross the country today, and then uh, instituted a reign of terror on the Dutch people, massacring the Jewish population of the Netherlands, which was once substantial, uh, and of course, killing anyone of independent mind who cared about the independence of their country. Belgium, ditto. Uh, and although there were quite a few Belgians signed up for the Waffen-SS. I could go on, but most of the NATO countries are just lipstick on the pig. Uh, they are of no fighting value at all. The idea that the Romanian army, the idea that the Portuguese army, the Dutch army, uh, the uh, armies of, uh, of the Benelux, of the, the Scandinavian countries, the idea that these are fighting forces is simply fanciful. A war, if it happens, will be a war between Russia and the United States. And your mothers and fathers in your country have got to start asking themselves if they are ready for their sons and daughters to die for Kupiansk. Uh, to die for a place they can't pronounce, couldn't possibly spell, and could never find on a map. On whether or not that indecipherable, unpronounceable little town that has changed countries three times in a hundred years, some cases four times in a hundred years, is worth dying for. And if your mothers and fathers don't do that, there's a very real danger that Joe Biden will kill your sons and daughters for uh, Kopiansk and for other places that even I cannot pronounce. As for the British, sure, we've got a professional army, a very small one. It will go there. It will fight uh, valiantly as it did in the charge of the Light Brigade, but it will meet the same fate as the Scots Guards did in that uh, conflict. The rest will not show up, I promise you that. They'll be in the rear, organizing the kitchens, uh, organizing the entertainment for the troops on the way to the theater. They'll be carrying the stretchers, but they will not, I promise you, be at the fighting end of the conflict. We just heard from a master of the arts, a man of unimpeachable record at the CIA and the State Department, who knows about military affairs. We hear all the time from Scott Ritter, 
our military expert. We hear uh, from Gonzalo Lira, who is actually there inside the country in the front line. We know the truth, those of us who watch the mother of all talk shows. Sadly, the majority of people in your country and mine know nothing, nothing, nothing about what's really happening there, let alone what might happen in the end. Li Jingling is a very popular guest on the mother of all talk shows. She is a journalist, a political commentator, broadcaster extraordinaire. Please welcome Li Jingjing back to the mother of all talk shows. After too long an absence, uh, I must say, it's wonderful to see you again, especially given the time in uh, China. Uh, let me uh, throw out how it seems to me, uh, I might be wrong, I hope I'm right, that actually the G20 marked something of a breakthrough for China, not just uh, with its friends reconfirming its friendships, but also a slight softening of the aggressive attitude of the Biden administration. Is that how you saw it, or am I just uh, looking for uh, moonbeams? Okay, uh, thanks, George. Uh, always uh, so happy to be back on your show. It's indeed quite a long time. But uh, I think this uh, conversation, this invitation came at a good, perfect timing because a lot of a lot of things happen in China and about China. As you mentioned, just during the G20, uh, it is a big deal for China because uh, at the G20 and the, also the APAC meeting in Southeast Asia, several world leaders uh, head of states that met Chinese President Xi Jinping. And you mentioned the most important, not most important, but actually the one that uh, got uh, the world's attention is the in-person meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and the U.S. President Joe Biden. Uh, not only that's the first in-person meeting since Joe Biden took office, it's also the first meeting between the two after uh, the relationship between the two countries uh, keep getting worse and worse, going downhill, like free fall, basically. And especially after Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. So this meeting helped to, I think it helped to the both countries to find a solution to manage the conflicts. And actually, um, if you look at the diplomatic words from both sides, uh, both sides use the word candid conversation. Both sides describe this meeting as candid conversation that both countries discuss all these conflicts that are facing these two countries and how to manage it. And both sides stress they don't want this competition to veer into a huge conflicts. And uh, I think uh, I can get some quotes from the both sides. On China's side, it's pretty clear, says, China-U.S. relations should not be a zero-sum game where one side outcompete or thrives at the expense of the others. And uh, President Xi Jinping uh, said it very clear that the country, the world is pretty big enough for both countries to develop. And the U.S. side, if you read the readouts from the uh, White House, actually the readouts from China and the U.S. are not actually the same, but some words are similar. 
And the U.S. side, uh, they also stress that they don't want to turn this uh, competition between China and U.S. to turn into a conflict. And uh, they want to manage the competition responsibly and maintain open lines of communication. So it looks like this meeting is helping this uh, relation to not keep uh, going downward further. But of course, we are not naive that uh, in, especially in the complex of global geopolitical conflicts in in terms of uh, global politics, we're, we're not naive that one meeting will forever change everything. But at least we are seeing an intention, a trend that both sides want to manage it. But I think whether this thing can be changed really depends on whether the US side can adhere to what they said. And one thing I'm a little bit worried is because in the U.S. readout, they once again talk about how how concerned they are about China's domestic affairs. Uh, they, they keep mentioning like Hong Kong or Xinjiang, Uyghur autonomous region and Tibet, how much they concerned about human rights in China. First, the more many things uh, that happening in those regions are actually created and fueled by the U.S.-funded separatist groups and NEDs. So they create a certain problems and then uh, use those problems to claim, oh, you have human rights concerns, you have human rights issues. And second, like just imagine in, in a diplomatic meeting, you talk about other, another country's domestic affairs. Just imagine what if China in this readout, talk about how much we concerned about the uh, racism in the United States, how much we concerned about the rising population in prison in the United States, how much we concerned about the uh, or the gun violence in the United States. Just imagine what U.S. would react if China said that, but China didn't. In the work report, like China never mentioned anything about the U.S. domestic affairs, even though they have a lot of problems, because. Each country should do with their problems by themselves. So that's what I'm concerned. Um, um, and we're going to keep a close eye on whether the U.S. will abide by their words. And uh, I think I need to stress one more thing, because what will affect the two countries' relations is the U.S. stance on Taiwan. Uh, during this readout, during this meeting, the U.S. once again said, they will adhere the one China policy. They are not intended to change China's uh, political system. They're not intended to create two Chinas or one China, one Taiwan. So they promised once again, they adhere to the one China policy. But we also know, even though um, they've been saying this all the time, but in reality, you will see uh, people like Nancy Pelosi, a lot of senators flying to the uh, to Taiwan Island, and uh, they uh, they also sell ar arms uh, weapons to the Taiwan Island, even though not really useful arms anyway. But still, so in reality, they are doing this. But China, I think, what is really stand out is China really make clear Taiwan is at the core of China's core interests, and uh, this is being said by Xi during the uh, President Xi and Joe Biden's uh, meeting. And also, once again, uh, being reiterated at yesterday's uh, the defense minister's meeting, China's defense minister and the uh, U.S. foreign uh, the defense minister met, they once again said it. So, and uh, Taiwan question is so important to all China, 
And uh, once again, channels have made it clear is the core of China's core interest. It's the first right line of China's outright lines and cannot be crossed. And once the U.S. crossed that right line, this thing probably cannot be reversed. Well, uh, that's, uh, that, that's, I think, an entirely accurate uh, summation. And you can uh, confirm that by how the other issues, uh, like Tibet, like the Muslim question in uh, Xinjiang and so on, these have dropped down the agenda. Even Hong Kong has dropped down the propaganda agenda in the West. Uh, uh, in favor of Taiwan. It's quite clear that Taiwan is what they see as their number one uh, opportunity to cause problems for you. But before I ask you to respond to that, isn't the problem this? That it's all very well to say, uh, let's have a competition uh, rather than a conflict. Mm -hmm. Because if one side is winning the competition, winning out the park, to use a sporting metaphor. As successful as its competitors are failures, uh, whose economy continues to burgeon and grow, while the other shrinks and atrophies, and in the case of the European economy, uh, is about to go into the deepest of deep freezes, the other side, while saying it's happy to have a competition, doesn't want to have a conflict, will increasingly entertain the idea of a conflict, not least to kickstart their economies and spend their way out of the economic uh, desperation that they're in. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And, uh, and you know, you mentioned the, the, the economy in Europe is is going downwards. I think that's probably one of the major reasons that uh, like uh, Macron from France, uh, German Chancellor uh, Schwarz, uh, that mad Chinese President Xi Jinping Schwarz actually came to Beijing to, to, to meet President Xi Jinping together with the head of several uh, German firms. So, I mean, that shows how much the Europe's economies probably has been damaged by all these unfair conditions, uh, either by the conflicts in Ukraine or by the the United States orders. So, so and so every region wants to seek development, economic economic growth rather than conflicts. Nobody wants to. And I think what what said by the Chinese side something very true and important is. Uh, the conflicts nowadays be between China and the United States is not benefiting both people in China, another people in China, and other people in the United States. It's not beneficial to both sides. So it's really important that these countries to find a solution to both to compete, to develop, but not to destroy each other. And also, that's probably also why this meeting between the two got the world's attention because uh, if any conflicts between such a two major powers will have an impact to the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, I think, I don't know whether people in Europe or in the West have realized there's a big change in the world. 
not just in China. We're talking about China, blah, blah, blah. And uh, like, I think it's more than China. We should look at Latin America and the Caribbean, Africa, Southeast Asia. And, uh, and you know what? I really wish people in the West, in Europe, in US that can come out of their bubble to look at the world, to really look at what people in the rest of the world think. Uh, we remember during the Ukraine conflicts, when whenever the West talk about uh, the international community, they only refer to global North, basically the G7 countries. They never included people in Asia, in Latin America and the Caribbean and Africa. They have a different view. Uh, for example, some Western countries like United Kingdom, America, they, they always talk about uh, issues in Hong Kong or those certain regions. But can you think of any Asian countries that make big fuss about the issue in Hong Kong? And not really, not many Asian countries have the same, not many Latin American countries or African countries make big fuss about Hong Kong. Why? I think, of course, first, they have a good relationship with China and uh, they know that's uh, China's domestic issue. And uh, I think another thing is really important is this country understand what's being a colony. The, you, the Hong Kong used to be under colonial rule by, uh, of the United Kingdom. So these countries, these regions know what it feels like to be under colonial rule. And uh, they understand the complex that led to the situation in places like Hong Kong. So, and they know the Western's role that in, in this conflict. So you don't hear the voices from these regions. And also, I mean, even if, you know, Western major, Western mainstream media and the several governments keep vilifying, vilifying China as this uh, another colonial power and they keep go go to Africa, Latin America, South Asia to warn those regions, uh, don't work with China because China will conquer you. But I think people in those regions, they understand what's 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 colonialism, what's being conquered. Um, there's some jokes because uh, I think it's the whenever a, a joke from a, a friend from Africa told me because whenever the U.S. representative go to Africa, they land at an airport uh, built by Chinese, drive a car built uh, on the road built by Chinese, and speak at a venue built by Chinese and warn the Africans don't work with China. And they go to Latin America. It's the same. A former Chile ambassador to China said, you know what? Whenever China's representative came to Latin America, they talk about trade, uh, economic cooperations. But whenever the U.S. representative came to Latin America, they only talk about China. And just past few weeks, we had several major meetings in Southeast Asia, the APEC meeting uh, in, in Thailand, G20 in Bali, Indonesia, and the ASEAN meeting in Cambodia all took place in Southeast Asia. And I think I see this happen again because I think uh, Joe Biden, uh, when he met Cambodian leader Hong Sen, uh, even though despite talking about corporations, he also secretly asked, hey, do you have China soldiers in your country? And the Cambodian leader Hong Sen said, we don't, but he keep asking. So now this time he came to Southeast Asia, we're going to help you to counter China's influence. But have they, have they 
ever ask what local people want, they probably not really uh, particularly like China or U.S. or Russia. They just want to have a de economic development. They just want to seek what's in the best interest for them. So if the deals offered by China are good uh, and that will benefit us economically, we will choose that. And uh, we can. So it's, it's I mean, I think what the Western audience really need to do is just come out of the bubble, listen to the people Come Outside out of the bubble uh, is a good summary, uh, a good summary uh, of our discussion. The irony is that uh, without China and Chinese trade, there would be no Thanksgiving tomorrow. At least there would be no toys to give to your children. There would be no, uh, there would be no Black Friday. There would be nothing in the shops on Black Friday. Ditto on Christmas Day and so on. Uh, every Latin American country from Mexico to Chile and Brazil has China as its major trading partner. Ditto so many uh, European countries. Uh, people don't know that. They haven't woken up to that. Lastly, uh, having made the nightmare road journey from Jakarta to Bandung many times, my good wife is Indonesian, uh, I was delighted to see you showcasing the brand new high-speed train from uh, Jakarta to Bandung, which is one of my favorite cities in the world uh, for many reasons. Uh, tell us briefly about that. How did that come about? What did China do? Uh, it took a pretty long time. Um, I forgot the exact amount of time, several years to... to uh, to fully build it. So during the G20, the high-speed rail did a test run and it and it will put into operation next year. And uh, it's the first high-speed rail in Indonesia, probably also the first uh, high-speed rail fully uh, used the China's technology, China's standard and equipment. So we know infrastructure, infrastructure is really important for economy. We see, we know this from our own country because all, my country used to be very underdeveloped, very poor. I went to many provinces uh, in the remote areas. And one thing that's used to stop those regions from developing is the steep mountains and lack of roads, uh, commun uh, the infrastructure to get out. So I think many countries in the uh, developing world also face the same problem. And uh, Western Western countries said they want to work with, uh, they want to help Southeast Asian countries. They've been in the Southeast Asia for a pretty long time, but did anything like this basic infrastructure happen during their dominance in that region? No. So I think this uh, has been real, really going to help to grow, uh, help the Indonesia's economy and also Southeast Asia's economy. But this is not the only uh, ha uh, the rail that China helped build in Southeast Asia. Uh, just a few months ago, uh, also another rail that connects to connect a city in Laos and China city in Kunming also being uh, put in operation just a few months ago. Also, um, China's engineers, China's companies helped to build. Uh, so the I think this is all part of the, I think a great example what a Belt and Road Initiative can help different regions. I know some people 
not just from the Western countries, probably from developing world as well. They have concern, is the Belt and Road Initiative really gonna help us? Or will China be another uh, colonial imperial power in the region? But just look at what, what really being carried out in reality. High-speed rails, first ever being built in Southeast Asia, in Indonesia, in Laos. You know, Laos used to be the landlocked region in Southeast Asia. And in Africa, it's the same. All these infrastructure, infrastructures, ports, roads, airports, these basic infrastructures are making this country stronger. So what kind of imperial power will make their enemies What kind stronger? of imperialism uh, is that? Well, look, I hope to be on that first uh, journey next year on that train to Bandung. Uh, the, the reality of colonialism in Indonesia can in part be summed up when I tell you that the Dutch colonialists left fewer than 100 graduates in the entire archipelago of Indonesia when they left. Thanks very much, Li Jinjing, for coming again to the mother of all talk shows. Very nice to see you looking so well. The USA is holding the next World Cup. Should it? A, yes, B, no. Get voting now. Let me take a quick break and then it's your calls all the way to the end. We're charting now with our podcast in 130 countries and territories around the world. And we're in the top 10 in the United Arab Emirates, Indonesia, where we're number one, Croatia, Egypt, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Poland, and Nigeria, and even the Cayman Islands, even the tax dodgers. There's new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. You can listen to the very best of moats anywhere and at any time. You can also get the episodes a day earlier if you are a supporter of mine on Patreon. All my live shows, it's my extensive podcast archive, my audio books narrated by me. So please uh, consider supporting me on Patreon and get your moats podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review, will you? Our podcast is number one in Indonesia and was, briefly, number one in Saudi Arabia. And while I'm on that subject, my hat is raised to the great football team of Saudi Arabia that humbled the world's uh, most favoured team to win the World Cup, Argentina, yesterday. It was an absolute display of the truism that it's not the size of the dog in the fight that counts, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Well done, the footballers of Saudi Arabia. The US is holding the next World Cup. Should it? Yes or no? Please vote. Thousands of you have, and it's not going well for you, President uh, Biden, I must say. By the way, the tickets for the Moats Roadshow in Sunderland are going like hotcakes. We've sold nearly 20% of them already, and it doesn't happen until Tuesday, the 7th of February. How's that? We sold out the Stockport one 
uh, over a month in advance, it's looking like we might do even better on the Sunderland show. Uh, we talk about the show, its genesis, what it does, and Gayatri interviews people in the audience, and we put those interviews up on screen. So if you want to be part of the mother of all talk shows, you live anywhere near the northeast of England, please sign up uh, now for the Moats Roadshow. Uh, the messages from YouTube chat are flooding in. Here are some. Crowhawk, an inconvenient fact. Since the World Cup started, no gay, keep, gay people have been killed in Qatar. Five have been gunned down in the USA. I think that's an inconvenient fact, but a fact nonetheless. On line one is Mohammed in South Wales. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Mohammed. Thank you. Uh, regarding uh, uh, Qatar holding the World um, uh, event of uh, football, right? Uh, they talk about these gays and uh, lesbians and all these cetera people, right, for their rights. Okay. But when a Muslim um, uh, uh, cricket player, Mon Ali, right, uh, had a hand uh, uh, band put on and uh, they suspended him, right, for uh, supporting the Palestinian cause. So it's a, it's a double standard, right, by this uh, uh, media, the European-held media, which is funded by the Zionists. And uh, sad to say that uh, it's uh, always Muslim gets the worst end of it, you know? I mean, the thing is this, if you don't like the... Uh, well, I don't think, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think that Western media is funded by the Zionists, if by that you mean the Israelis. On the contrary, Israel takes the money of Western countries rather than gives it. But it's certainly true that the great majority uh, of the mainstream media are amongst the greatest supporters of Israel. But that is a different thing from the way that you expressed it. But the hypocrisy you describe is absolutely obvious. Two Leicester City players were fined for running a Palestinian flag around the pitch at Wembley after they won the FA Cup just a couple of seasons ago. And my own team, Celtic, were fined a huge sum of money because supporters, not the club, but supporters in the crowd waved Palestinian flags as they have continued uh, to do. And I've seen, by the way, quite a few of them in Qatar at the game. So uh, full marks. Uh, to that. The Qatari people need, uh, the Palestinian people need support too, you know. It's not just gay people that need support. Palestinians deserve support too. And their flag uh, is flying in Qatar. Uh, and I'm very glad to see it there. The, the reality is that Celtic were fined because their supporters allowed uh, even though they didn't know about it, Palestinian flags into the ground, in the crowd. But Ukrainian flags are handed out by the football authorities. For a period, uh, even the corner flags were actually Ukrainian flags. Uh, stadia were done up in Ukrainian colors with propaganda messages. Being This is hypocrisy of the highest order. Now, you might say, well, Ukraine was invaded. So it was. There's a backstory, but so it was. But so was Palestine invaded. And it's been occupied 
from 1948 until now. How many years do some people have to exist before they're allowed to be free or whether you're free even to show their colors in a public place? Thanks, Mohammed. A coffee king in Birmingham is online too about propaganda. Go ahead, coffee king. Um, I'm coming from a different angle from this um, Western media, how they have really disappointed the youth, the upcoming youth, with their propaganda because um, we're thinking about healthcare, human mental health. And if you look at what they are pushing on the television for our next generation, I see it as a big harm and it looks like um, a setup to cause more mental health. Look at, we came out of um, a, a pandemic which has already affected the whole world. I don't know the mental health rates around the world, but I know it's very high. And now you watch t TV, there is no hope. I have a, a six-year-old youth in my house, and the other day he came from school and asked me, Daddy, are we going to get bombed? And this kind of trauma in the youth coming up, how are they going to grow up? And I, I'm thinking the Western media is doing us a very big disservice, you know, and they have to look at this censorship and find what to sell to our next youth. We are older. We've known them for long. So we can hold our, we can, we know, we can see through. That's why I listen to the mother of all talk shows, because that's where, when I watch you, I don't get traumatized, because you can read between the lines. So if there could be a campaign just for our youth, like me and your children, the next generation coming, because it's sad. They don't have no social activities. It's just war, and they feel like they are going to be eradicated from the earth and it's very bad this kind of mental health problems we the parents are the ones facing it these kids are being suicidal in the house day in and day out how are we going to cope with it you know so it's just it's something it's heartbreaking uh no it's a very powerful call and i'm grateful to you for making it i watched a harrowing news item uh, which I don't normally do. I never watch television news, but I uh, happened to uh, because the football finished. I hadn't realized it, and I caught the news where I am uh, about a boy, a student at Sheffield University who had taken his own life at the age of 19, and his distraught parents really powerfully affected me. And they were making the point that their son might well still be alive if the Sheffield University had told them that he had previously attempted to commit suicide, but they did not tell the parents that their student, their son, had attempted to commit suicide on grounds of confidentiality, even though their own rules and regulations stipulate that if a student is a danger to themselves or other students, then the rules of confidentiality can indeed be breached. It was a very, very distressing and upsetting story, and my heart went out to the parents involved. Mental health is a very fragile thing, 
And the more problems we have in our society, the more grotesque manifestations of the collapse of mental health in some people uh, is. The, I have no doubt that the, the, the shopping mall manager who mowed down his own customers was mentally ill. I have no doubt that the person who murdered the people in the gay club uh, was mentally ill. Uh, mentally ill people are a danger to themselves more often, but of course, sometimes to other people also. My own son, uh, aged eight, asked me tonight, what's all this they keep talking about in the World Cup programs? What is the rainbow armband? I haven't yet uh, talked him through it because I couldn't immediately find the words but he was conscious that the World Cup was somehow being spoiled, that there was some kind of atmosphere being uh, pumped up around this World Cup, and he thought it was a joyous festival of football. But even he, aged eight, had become conscious on day three of the tournament that there was something up, something off, something not right about this World Cup, and it is a crying shame, and it is not even in the interests of those that it is purported to be mounted for. Thank you for that moving call. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. The idea I have for Moats America is that we have a rotating panel, short seasons maybe, of American presenters. I don't intend to present it myself. Uh, there's a limit to how many hours I can work, uh, but we'll handle everything else. Uh, the front of house will be American. The guests will be chosen in America. And the hosts, uh, people like my good friend Garland Nixon, uh, shamefully uh, banned from Twitter this week, uh, Nico House, uh, Farhan Fronchak, uh, Manila Chan, people like them, good friends of mine that I trust to front the show, and uh, we'll handle everything else for them. Uh, I think it's a great idea uh, because a lot of American people can't see this show live because of the time differences involved. Online two is Ash in Japan about Donald Trump. Go ahead, Ash. My concern for the Donald Trump issue is that we keep going out the usual talking points. He's a racist, he's rich, he's out of touch, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, I want to ask how many presidents before him have been racist, rich, white men? It doesn't matter. This is personality content they keep doing. It's just, how do you say, a deflection. It matters how he governed compared to other presidents. He didn't start, he didn't start any new wars. He, I think for ego's sake, he wants what's best for America because it's his country. Unlike other presidents, who seem to be concerned with overseas wars, overseas projects, overseas everything. I do like the fact that Donald Trump was simply out of ego, wants America to do better, to do better. I think that's what people need right now compared to a popularity concept about who looks good and who doesn't look good. Because last time I checked, Joe Biden has caused more damage to minorities than any other president we've seen. 
with the crime bill. He's the reason why people cannot um, declare bankruptcy on credit cards that or student debt. So I'd like to remind people who keep saying things about Trump like he's this and that. Okay, fine. But so are other presidents. And look at the damage compared to what he the damage. He wasn't as bad as others, is what I'm trying to say in that regard. And that's why I wanted to call him. Well, I think, you, I, think you've, uh, I think you've said it very powerfully indeed. It wasn't a great line from Japan, but I hope the audience all heard very clearly what you were saying, which uh, in summary is my own view. I'll not be supporting uh, Donald Trump, but I will be opposing Joe Biden. Uh, I won't be delighted if Donald Trump is re-elected, but I will be delighted if Joe Biden is defeated. I would rather support Jimmy Dore, and if he runs, I'll definitely support him. If my good friend Dr. Jill Stein is the candidate of the Green Party, I'll definitely support her. I'm not a supporter of Donald Trump, but I am an opponent of Joe Biden. I don't know if Joe Biden is more racist than Donald Trump. If you want my honest opinion, I suspect he is. Uh, I don't know if Joe Biden is uh, genuinely any more liberal than Donald Trump. I suspect he probably isn't. I suspect that Donald Trump is a good-time party guy who's uh, very, very liberal and who doesn't much care uh, what uh, other people do in their private lives uh, because his own private life is, uh, is a 5th of November, uh, 4th of July, uh, burning, sparkling Roman candle fireworks box of its own. Uh, so uh, I don't care about these things. I only care about an America that is dragging the world to war. I only care if the President of the United States constitutes a clear and present danger to my own country, my own people, my own family, my own children, and my calculated and very clear conclusion on that equation is that Joe Biden is the greatest danger to the peace of the world. He's certainly a greater danger to the peace of the world than Trump. Partly because Trump is hated by all the elites that are behind Joe Biden in the drive for war. Actual war with China, with Russia now, putative war at some time in the future with China. Wall Street hates Donald Trump. The mass media hates Donald Trump. The political elites hate Donald Trump. The deep state hates Donald Trump. The CIA and the intelligence community hate Donald Trump. And they hate him for a reason. And that reason is they cannot control him. They cannot count on him. He may well and did do their bidding here and there, but they can't be sure of it. And on some things, he was ready to do things that they very definitely did not want, that were not in their game plan. A peace agreement with North Korea was not in their game plan. Peace with Russia, resetting of relations with Russia, avoiding the war in Ukraine, 
these were not in the game plan of the security apparatus, the deep state, and the military-industrial complex in America. It is true that Trump continued some wars and committed acts of atrocious recklessness and cruelty, like uh, the, uh, the, mass, the murder of General Soleimani in Iraq, the Iranian general who had won all the honors that were due to him for fighting ISIS and Al-Qaeda and defeating them in theater after theater across the world. It's true that Trump did those things, but he did not start any new wars. He tried to end some of the wars in which the U.S. was engaged. And the deep state and all these elites that I talked about definitely cannot count on Donald Trump. Certainly not a second time around when Trump now knows everything that they did to try and destroy him. So I'm hoping that Joe Biden loses his battle. And inevitably, unfortunately, that will probably be at the hands of Donald Trump. So I commend your brave telephone call from Japan, which is another of the Ukraines of the Pacific that the United States would willingly sacrifice every last Japanese person to see China weakened, divided, and if possible, defeated. And I cannot let you go without saying that the great victory of the Japan football team today against the arrogant German entitlement that was on display on the park, they should have done their talking on the pitch. Long live the great people of Japan. And you should have called up the two Celtic strikers that you left behind. Ash in Japan, thank you. Alas, that's all I've got time for, but I will be back, God willing, on Sunday for the mothership, the main mother of all talk shows, which is on Sunday evening at 7 p.m. UK time. If you like what you saw and heard this evening, come back on Sunday and bring another viewer with you. Spread the word and tick a like if you're watching on YouTube. Good night. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.